God, we come to you in desperation and in our own neediness. God, we want this moment to be more than just an intellectual exercise. God, we don't want just a, an information dump here in this moment, but God, we want our hearts to be transformed by the living word and the incarnate word who is Jesus. God, we need you to Lord, orchestrate that whole movement within our hearts of us conforming to the image of Christ. God, we cannot do that on our own. God, we need so much more than just a good sermon this morning. God, we need your spirit to work in our hearts. Lord, some come into this place this morning just stumbling who are in need of encouragement, who are in need of of strength. God, some who are here this morning battling sin. Lord, some who are living in sin who need to be convicted by your word today. And so, God, I pray that you would give us exactly what we need today. You know it. And so, God, we ask that you would work. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, last week we kicked off a new sermon series where we'll be walking through the book of the Gospel of John. And we looked last week at the background of John. We looked at some uh, distinctives of John's Gospel compared to the other Uh, three Gospels. We also looked at uh, the purpose of John's uh, Gospel. We talked last week about how each of the four Gospels are trying to answer the same question, who is Jesus? Who is this person that has come and has completely changed the whole world? And I shared with us that each Gospel really answers that question the same way, but through kind of a different lens, that Jesus is 100% God, he's 100% man, But Matthew tends to emphasize the fact that Jesus is the king. Now Mark answers that question by looking about how Jesus is the great servant. Luke answers it, highlighting the fact that Jesus, yes, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. So he emphasizes the humanity side of Jesus. Well, John's gospel shows us how Jesus is the son of God. He emphasizes the godhood of Christ. Now, we looked even explicitly at uh, the purpose of John's gospel, which he states for us in chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. I've asked you to just highlight this verse. Uh, It's not very often that we see just an explicit purpose statement by uh, one of the authors of Scripture, but John gives it to us here towards the end of his book. He says this, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay, so everything is going to come back to this purpose statement that John is writing to us. He's not just giving us information about Jesus. He's not just giving us more facts about Jesus. This is not an information dump or an information transfer. He wants your heart to be transformed by the person and the work of Jesus. He wants to move you towards belief and trust in Jesus so that your desires grow and your love for Jesus grows. And look, that's my prayer for us as we walk through this book, that some of us in this room, you need to believe in Jesus. You need to trust in Jesus this morning because you, you, you don't, because you haven't yet. And we're praying that those of you who are here today, you're not a believer, that you would transfer your trust over to Christ. But also, Those of us who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, we need our belief in Jesus to be strengthened. We need our trust in Jesus to grow because of what we experience every single day in this world and the fact that life is hard. 
And so that's what we're going to keep uh, coming back to each and every passage. Now, last week, I framed for us the first 18 verses of John chapter 1 are, are kind of called the prologue, the introduction uh, to John's gospel. And I framed it by basically saying that as we look at these first 18 verses, we are basically standing in the lobby of the mansion of John's gospel. That as we stand in this lobby, the first 18 verses, John is introducing for us some of the most important themes that we will see in every single room of John's 21-chapter mansion. Okay, so these are not just, not just a random introduction with random themes as he talks about life and light and darkness and belief. No, these are themes that we will see repeatedly throughout this great gospel. So last week we looked at the first uh, five verses at five realities of Christ that really shape uh, how we are to view the person and the work of Jesus. We saw how Jesus is eternally pre-existent. He has eternally been in relationship with God. He is eternally God. He is eternally the creator, and he is eternally uh, life-giving. Now, John's gospel is unique in the fact of how he kind of introduces his book. There's no genealogy of Jesus given. There's no information about Jesus' birth or information related to the upbringing of Jesus. But the way that John begins this mansion of his gospel, it's, it's steeped in Christology and theology. That he is giving us this huge picture of who Jesus Christ is, the incarnate word. Now, I find it very interesting that in the midst of these 18 verses, almost smack dab in the middle, John interrupts this wonderful description of Jesus Christ And he introduces to us a new character. In verse 6, he starts talking about this man named John. Now, it's not, uh, he's not talking about himself here, but he's talking about John the Baptist. That John, uh, the author of this book, doesn't actually call John the Baptist, John the Baptist, anywhere in his gospel. Uh, That's another distinctive of of this gospel. In fact, he doesn't even talk about uh, John's ministry in baptism until verse 25. In fact, the way that the author John talks about John the Baptist is he highlights the fact that John is a witness. And so one of my uh, hopes is that I'll convince you today that as we walk out of this room that we probably shouldn't call John John the Baptist, but we should call him John the witness. And so three things that I want us to see this morning about John the witness. Uh, Number one, we're going to look at his identity. Secondly, we're going to look at his mission And then thirdly, we're going to look at why this matters. Why does John interrupt the flow of introducing us to Jesus by talking about John, the witness? Okay, here's number one, John's identity. Who is uh, John? Well, we know from uh, the other Gospels that John is the cousin of Jesus. According to Matthew and Mark's uh, account, John was uh, very trendy uh, he uh, wore the, the hair of camel as his uh, dress, and uh, he wore actually a belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey, and uh, he was hipster before it was cool to be hipster. Okay, he probably did essential oils and all of that stuff, so I won't get into it at all this morning. But another passage of Scripture, we know that John is called John the Baptist, and it's not because that was his denomination or his flavor of Christianity as if Baptists and Presbyterians and Anglicans existed back then. 
But John is known as John the Baptist because that was his primary ministry. That is what we see him doing over and over and over again in the other Gospels is he's baptizing people. Now that's true in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but John, again, doesn't highlight necessarily the baptism of John and his ministry. But the way that John, the author John, portrays John the witness is according to verse 6, he tells us that John was a man sent from God. Now, this is a reference to John being a prophet, okay? He's to be viewed in the same category as Elijah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, a man who was chosen and commissioned by God. He was set apart by God himself. He was sent on mission from God with a specific message about God. Now, John the Baptist was a big deal, even uh, during Jesus' public ministry here. He was very, very popular. In fact, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, calls John uh, the greatest prophet and person born of woman to ever exist. That's high praise uh, from Jesus himself. Now, even though he was known for his countercultural lifestyle and, uh, and, and just the way that he wandered into the wilderness in his baptisms, he was also known for preaching a message of repentance. This is kind of interesting. This is part of the reason why people were drawn to him is because he was a very blunt type of preacher. In fact, the gist of his preaching we can find in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. He basically just says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. No illustrations, no three points, no poem at the end. He just gets right down to it. Repent because Jesus is now here. John was popular, no question about it. He had many followers, different disciples who wanted to be like John. In fact, some of Jesus' first couple of disciples came from John uh, the witness, and we'll get to that at the end of chapter 1. And throughout John's gospel, there is a great emphasis on John the Baptist. He plays a significant role, not only in these three verses, but in verses 15 and 16, in verses 19 through 36, chapter 3, verses 22 through 36, and chapter 10. No other gospel emphasizes uh, John the witness like John's gospel. He is the, the dominant voice in these first couple chapters. Really, Jesus doesn't really move to center stage until chapter 3, where he begins to kind of find his, his voice. Now, while there is kind of this spotlight on John uh, and his ministry, there is also a great emphasis on who John the Baptist is not. Again, this is a, another distinctive of who John the Baptist is and who John the Baptist is not throughout John's gospel. But John stresses the fact that John the Baptist is not the Messiah. He is not the Son of God. He is not the Christ. He talks about this over and over and over again, not only in verse 8 where he says John's not the light, but he talks about this in four other places in chapter 1 and chapter 3. And as I was looking at this study, it begs the question, why the emphasis here? Like, okay, John, we, we get the picture here. You can just say it once. We can kind of move on here. But there was a specific emphasis of why John was emphasizing that John the Baptist is not the Christ. Now, the reason for this is because at this time in the first century, there was still a large group of individuals who were identifying themselves as followers and disciples of John the Baptist instead of Jesus Christ. If you remember, John wrote this in 
uh, Ephesus. And so in Ephesus, you see this large group of people who were elevating John the Baptist over Jesus. Let me give you a snapshot of what I mean by that. In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 5, we, we find that Paul is passing through Ephesus, same place that John was writing. And he stumbles across a group of people who were identifying themselves as followers of John the Baptist. Let me read this for us. It says, And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Well, into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. So Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So John, writing in Ephesus here, is writing this book with this group of people in mind, that there are people who were emphasizing John and de-emphasizing Jesus. So he's writing to clarify who Jesus is and who, the John, who John the Baptist actually is. Now, I want you to know this morning that that is not just a first century problem, that that is a 21st century problem. I want to suggest to us this morning that we have the same difficulty elevating the people in our lives to the place that is only reserved for Jesus. That sometimes we can look to the people closest in our lives to be all the things that Jesus has already promised to be. That we can look to our spouses, we can look to our children, we can look to our coworkers or our boss or our future spouses to, to find a type of satisfaction and joy that only Jesus can bring. And so before we kind of move on too quickly here and say, man, why is he emphasizing this? Look, we have the same problem. We tend to emphasize people in our lives and de-emphasize Jesus in our own hearts. And we put this unhealthy burden on the people in our lives that, that tend to crush them with expectations. We put these expectations to be really Jesus to us when they were never created or meant to be that. Tim Keller talks about this as it relates uh, to marriage. He says, you will crush your marriage with those expectations, that nobody can bear the weight of the expectations and the hopes of ultimate joy. The criticism of your spouse will crush you. The problems of your spouse will crush you. They will devastate you much more than they should because you're looking to your spouse and to your marriage to save you and to make everything right in your life. Like you can really apply that to any person or any type of relationship. That when we look to other people to be only what Jesus can be, it will always lead us into an unhealthy relationship. So John's picking up on this, that people were doing that with John the Baptist. And so he says, look, John the Baptist is not the light. Look, we need to be reminded of that. Your spouse is not the light. Your kids are not the light. Your friends are not the light. Only Jesus is the light. And so this is John the Baptist. Now, as we continue on getting to know John the Baptist, who he was and who he was not, let's look at his mission. What is John the Baptist's assignment from the Lord? Well, we've already seen in verse 6 that he was a man sent from God, but sent to do what? 
verse 7 tells us. He says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Okay, now that's John's mission. That is his assignment. Pretty straightforward that he came as a witness concerning the light who is Jesus Christ. Now, this is the reason why John the author interrupts this wonderful description of who Jesus is and introduces us to this theme of what a witness is all about and what a witness does. There's something about a witness that is instrumental and vitally important in order for John to accomplish the purpose of his gospel. Remember, his purpose is for all to believe. And so there's something about witness that plays a role in that. Uh, John is, John's not getting distracted here with these three verses. These are not uh, kind of a, a random um, side message as he's talking about Jesus. He doesn't think to himself, oh, here's this guy named John the Baptist. He's got the, first, uh, the same first name as me. I'm going to give him a shout out here. No, he's, he's talking about John the Baptist because witness is a key theme throughout this letter, and John the Baptist was the first person to actually do it. In fact, the, the act of witness or the use of the word witness occurs 47 times throughout this book, and 14 of them are connected to John the Baptist. Now, witnesses, we know, are essential in establishing any claim to be fact. We know that different news stations, what do they do when they're trying to report uh, an important story or an event? They, they want to interview uh, eyewitnesses, that we accept the reports of credible witnesses, especially when there are a multitude of them who agree to the same thing. And the same principle guides our uh, legal system, that when credible witnesses testify to an event, we are morally bound to accept what they say as true. Now, in a similar way, John's gospel is using witness in the same way, that John is laying before us these different witnesses throughout this gospel who are testifying who Jesus is and what he has done so that we might believe in Jesus and follow after Jesus. I talked about this last week. This is a distinctive of John's gospel that John does not put Jesus on trial for Jesus to defend himself. He's not really defending himself before the crowds, before the religious leaders, before his disciples, and before Pilate. What John does is he puts before us these different individuals to serve as witnesses, as a device to make definitive statements about who Jesus is. And he throws witness after witness after witness before us for us to be confronted with the fact, do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he has come to bring life and life to the fullest? It's a massive theme throughout this book. In fact, there are seven uh, key witnesses, at least seven key witnesses I would just want to share with us uh, before we dive back into uh, the rest of this verse. Here's seven who I think are the most important witnesses throughout the gospel of John. Number one, we see the witness of God the Father. In John chapter 8, verse 18b, Jesus said, The Father who sent me bears witness about me. Okay, so you have God the Father who's witnessing about Jesus. Not only that, number two, the witness of God the Holy Spirit. John chapter 15, Jesus says, When the Helper comes, referring to the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. 
Thirdly, Jesus also points to his own works, his miraculous signs. He says in John chapter 10, verse 25, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness about me. Fourth, the fourth witness is the scriptures themselves, the Old Testament in particular, who were pointing forward to the coming of Jesus, prophesying about Jesus and the salvation that's in his name. Jesus says in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think that the scriptures have eternal life. But he says, it is they that bear witness about me. They point to me. And then fifth, well, of course, we've got John the Baptist, who we clearly see in our passage. His mission was to bear witness concerning Jesus. And then number six, we have Jesus' disciples who bear witness about Jesus. According to John chapter 15, Jesus says, you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the very beginning. And then the seventh and last, and this is the one I think is most fascinating, are the different men and women who have this personal encounter with Jesus who then serve as a witness to the other people who are living in darkness around them. You have the the woman at the well in John chapter 4 who experiences the light of Christ. Her eyes are open to seeing the beauty of Jesus And we see her being a witness to her whole village. John chapter 9, the the blind man who is given sight by Jesus, believes in Jesus, becomes a witness to the religious leaders concerning Christ. Chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead leads Mary, Martha, and the crowds to testify about Jesus. Okay, and so on and so forth. There's this huge theme of witness throughout this book about Jesus. Now it begs the question, why does he pick Jesus in order to draw people's attention to who Christ is? Well, it's because you only witness about that which is important. You only witness to the things that are actually valuable. What John is trying to communicate to us is that Jesus is our only hope. He is the only one that is worth us witnessing our whole lives about. That only Jesus provides the forgiveness of sins. See, before Christ, each and every one of us, we have these chains on our hands and around our lives because each and every one of us, we are enslaved to sin before Christ. And what John wants us to know through these witnesses is that Jesus Christ is the only one who is powerful enough to break those chains and give us the freedom found in eternal life that we are searching for. That it is only in the name of Jesus that we are saved. It is only in Jesus Christ who went to the cross and died in the place of sinners so that the shame and the guilt could be lifted off our shoulders so we can actually experience life the way that he wants us to experience it. He is drawing these witnesses and saying, look to Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. You're not convinced yet? Let me throw another witness at you. Look to Jesus and surrender your life to Jesus. So look, this morning, if if you get tired of Jesus, uh, this book study may not be a good book study for you. Because every week, it's going to be about the greatness and the beauty of Jesus. And look, each and every one of us, we need to be reminded that he is worthy of our lives to give witness and to testify that, yes, Jesus is the light of the world and darkness will not overcome it. So we see witness all throughout this gospel. But look, what does this mean, though, 
to be a witness about the light. Like, I found that very strange. Like, when you think about what a witness is trying to do as it relates to seeing the light and believing the light, like, light doesn't really need a witness. A light burns by itself. And so what, what is John trying to communicate here? Like, if you, if you have a, a candle and you want people to see the candle, you don't say, this is a candle. You don't say, I'm, I'm witnessing about this candle here. No, you just hold it up and people see the light, right? Well, that might be true about physical light, but John's not talking about physical light here. He's talking about spiritual light. And we don't see the light of Christ through our physical eyes. We see the light of Christ through our spiritual eyes. Now, where are our spiritual eyes according to the scriptures? Our spiritual eyes are found in our hearts. And that's how we see Jesus. That's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1 that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we may know the hope to which we've been called in Christ. Okay? So we see Christ in our hearts And the way that we see Christ in our hearts is through the testimony of witnesses. Okay, now that sounds strange, but spiritual light shines through words. That you witness and you testify using words about Jesus so that the light of the gospel may be seen through our spiritual hearts. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? What Paul is saying here is that the glory of Christ is his light. And this glory shines brightest in the gospel of Jesus. And so when we witness, when we testify using our words about what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and in the gospel, that is what it means to bear witness about the light. This is exactly what John the Baptist was all about. We're going to get to know John the Baptist here later on in chapter 1. But we're going to see him talking about beholding the Lamb of God, pointing to the forgiveness that's found in Jesus and Jesus alone. That is John the Baptist testifying and witnessing concerning the lights. Now, deeds of love, good works are important. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16 makes that clear. But deeds alone cannot witness effectually to the greatest glory of Christ, namely what he has done on the cross in the place of sinners. So God does this amazing, supernatural, eye-opening work through witnesses as the light of Christ shines through our words. Now, let me, let me illustrate this and take this a step further. I don't know if this illustration will work, um, but we'll give it a try. Here's an image on the screen. And for those of us who are here today, you either see one image or you see two images. Now, I won't embarrass you and raise your hand if you only see one, but let's say that you only see one image, okay? Let's say that you only see a duck, okay? It doesn't mean that you're not saved if you don't see two, but let's say that you only see one image here, okay? Let's say, just by illustration, that you are blind to seeing the other image that's up on the screen here, okay? Now, I see two. And so for me, to play the role as witness, 
I am going to explain to you in detail what you are blind to, what you cannot see. You can't see what you cannot see. And so for me to witness to you, I'm going to point out that here are some ears, here is an eye, here's a cute little nose, and here's the fur. See, this is a rabbit. Yes, good. So I have witnessed to you that this is a rabbit rabbit before your very eyes. So I'm explaining in detail all that you do not see. That's what a witness says. I use my words. Now, could I have acted out a a rabbit before you and have been effective? Probably not, because I'm not an actor, and that would be really embarrassing. Um, I have to use my words in order to witness to you about what you don't see. And the same is true about witnessing about Jesus. Look, yes, we need to, 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 to be uh, obedient followers of Jesus, do good deeds, do good works, so that all might see the Father who's in heaven and glorify his name. But the way that God opens blind eyes is through the words of, I, uh, of witnesses of Christ. Now, I just want to point that out because here's the challenge that we're all going to face as we walk through this book. The challenge is this. We are going to meet these witnesses who move from being blind and living in darkness to having this personal encounter with Jesus, and their eyes are open, they see the beauty of Jesus, and they believe in Jesus. And then what do we see them doing? We're going to see them then witness about Jesus. And look, the challenge that we're going to be faced with is can you truly move from being in darkness to claiming to believe that you've seen the light and yet not move over here and be a consistent witness of the light? Is that possible? Like, is that, is that a category that John is going to provide for us as we move through this book, that you can stay here and claim to believe in Jesus, but not move into being a witness about Jesus? Can you view witnessing as optional and be more of a spectator of the light of Christ? Look, what John is going to put before us is that really the closer that you get to the light of Christ, the better witness that you actually become. And the challenge before us is, are you moving towards witnessing and testifying of what you have experienced in the light of Christ? on a smaller level, if we go back to that illustration there, and the person next to you just does not see the rabbit, like doesn't see another image, is just frustrated, is just living in blindness, and you're sitting right next to them thinking, I see it, I I can see it, but you don't open your mouth to explain to them what the other image is? Is that being a loving neighbor? Look, we have people all around us in our lives who are living in darkness, who do not see the light of Christ. And if we truly have believed in him, we will open our mouths and be a witness to what we've experienced personally. And so this is the mission of John the Baptist. He came, sent from God, witness about the light through his actions, but primarily through his words. And those who believe will do the same. Well, before I close, I just have three application points for us today, just kind of why this matters Why does John interrupt all of this to talk about John the Baptist, to talk about who God is? Here are three things that we can know um, because this is true. Number one, just want to point this out, that we serve not only a saving God, but also a sending God. Okay, like the, the necessity of human witnesses does not mean that God is dependent upon our initiative 
in order for people to get saved. Okay, I just want to lift that off of us, okay? God was uh, a part of, of sending Jesus, and he is a part initiating and sending witnesses uh, about Jesus. Okay, this is what God is about. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 38, Jesus said, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Look, God sees to it that we pray, and God answers those prayers by sending out witnesses to testify about Jesus. Jesus will even say to his disciples in John chapter 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So look, we serve not only a saving God, but a sending God. And I just want to just put this before you and just allow you to chew on that for a little bit. The reason why God has saved you today is not for you just to sit on the gospel and just to enjoy the grace of the gospel to yourself, but he has saved you in order to send you on mission as a witness no matter where you are. My prayer is we get to know the light of the world each and every week that we would move towards coming before God and saying the same words as Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6a. We would say to the Lord, we'd say, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me as a witness to my workplace tomorrow. Here I am, send me to my neighbors in my neighborhood. Here I am, send me as a witness to my kids, to my spouse, to the people who I do life with. God, I want to be a witness of the light of the world because what I have seen in Jesus, I have to share with other people. Look, we have to understand God is both a saving God and a sending God. And look, you might be here this morning not experiencing the presence and the power of Jesus, and I wonder if you're just emphasizing the saving part of God and not the sending part of God, that God is moving you and mobilizing you to, to be a witness for him. That's what he's trying to do in your life. And if you're viewing that as optional or cutting that off as something that you don't do because you don't have the type of personality or skills, you're missing out on, a, on an intimate part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and experiencing the power and the presence of Christ. just want you to just sit on that and chew on that this week as you pray and as you meet with the Lord. Secondly, another application point that we can know from this passage is that you bear witness to that which you believe is most valuable. Like we see in verse 7 that John bore witness about Jesus so that all might believe. Now belief, this is the first time that this word shows up in this letter. It's going to show up another 97 times which is a lot when you have 21 chapters. This is the central purpose of his book. But you cannot believe without a witness. Belief comes through a witness, as Romans 10.14 says. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Look, belief comes through a witness, and John, the witness, gave his life so that people might believe in Jesus. John wrote this gospel in order for us to believe in him. And what we're going to find is that you bear witness to what you find most valuable. All of us are witnessing to something in our lives. All of us, depending on what we spend our time, our energy, our desires, we are drawing attention to something. The question is, is it Jesus or is it something else? Third, last here, thing that I want to point out is that the closer you are to the light, 
the better witness that you actually become. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus makes that unbelievable claim about John the Baptist. There's been no one born greater than uh, John himself. And yet, despite getting this high honor from Jesus, we also know that John had some low moments. Okay, I just want to kind of encourage us this morning, like John was thrown into prison in Matthew 11 for preaching about Jesus. He later got beheaded for preaching about Jesus. Even, even in prison, John's like, man, I need, to, I, need, I need to have my disciples here. You guys need to go and ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you really the Messiah? Or should we look for someone else? Like, man, that is a, a low moment for, for John the Baptist, whose whole mission was to bear witness about the light. John was rotting in prison, hope leaking out of his heart, and he's wrestling with doubts. Like, have you ever been there before? Like, that, that is a reality that we all face. What John experienced in that prison cell is what many of us experience, that the less we are around the lights, the more that we will struggle and becoming consistent and effective witnesses of the lights. Look, obviously you may not be in a physical prison cell this morning, but I wonder if you're not consistently bearing witness about the light, are you in another prison cell metaphorically? Are you in the the prison cell of complacency this morning? Are you in the prison cell of, of habitual sin or worry or anxiety that's choking out the light from your Life? Are you in the prison cell of just being too busy to witness about the lights? Look, Jesus calls us in Acts 1 8 to be witnesses of Him. And look, maybe you're here today, you're not witnessing because your heart is not being warmed by the light of the world who is Jesus. Look, I just want to encourage you and challenge you today that your effectiveness as a witness will only go as far as your closeness to the lights of the world. I just want to challenge you today to, to have a plan, to have an intentionality with getting to know who Jesus is. The closer you are to him, the more that you will witness about him because we witness to that which is valuable. So as we close today, we've, um, we're going to be taking communion together as a church family. Look, this is one of the ways that we warm our hearts uh, towards the light of the world, isn't it? In this moment, we remind ourselves of who Jesus is. We remind ourselves of of all that he's accomplished for us. And look, as the elements get passed in a moment, we're just going to have a time just to reflect about who Jesus is. I just want to encourage you to, to, to do one of three things this morning. I want you to either just sit there and just commune with Jesus just to connect with Jesus, to to remind yourself of all that Jesus is, all that he's done for you on the cross, that he's paid your penalty, he's taken away your sin, so that your sin is is as far from him as the east is from the west, and just to to reflect upon him today. Or secondly, maybe you need to take this moment and, and just to confess sin today. Maybe you need to just confess the sin knowing that he is faithful He is just. He will forgive you of your sins. He is that loving. He is that gracious that you come to him with humility and brokenness, and he will forgive that sin that's in your life today. Or maybe thirdly, you need to consider Jesus today. You need to consider coming to Christ who loves you, who has given his life for you, and that he offers eternal life as a free gift for all who believe and trust 
in Jesus. And maybe just take this moment, if you're not a Christian, and to consider the beauty of Jesus, that he knows you, he loves you, he bled for you. The one who created the whole universe took your place on the cross so you could be saved. Look, I just want to encourage you to take this moment and to consider giving your life to him. Let's pray together. God, we pray in this moment that you would hold up the beauty and the light of Jesus within our own hearts. God, we thank you for all that he is, all that he has done. And God, would you move us towards not just believing in him, but bearing witness about him who is the light. We pray this in Jesus' name.